Hi, I'm Ben and welcome to the Productive Project Manager podcast, where I'll be talking to you about project management, agile delivery and how you can improve your productivity at home and at work. Hi everyone and welcome to episode 10 of the Productive Project Manager podcast. And this week I'm going to talk to you about how to plan a project in 10 easy steps. So this is something I've written about on my blog and it's quite a long blog post but if you do want to go in there and get the detail you can download uh, the whole guide as an ebook as well but in this podcast today I'm just going to give you a high level run through of 10 steps to plan any project and I know from experience having structure when you're planning a project is so useful so it's something you can use and adapt for well for any project really because it's it covers the absolute fundamentals that any project manager needs to follow and I've certainly learned the hard way of of planning projects and this should make it easier for you okay so before I go into those 10 steps I'm just going to talk you through my five project management principles and these really help me when I'm planning a project and either you can use and adapt these or create some for yourself because it gives you good guidance on what feels right, what doesn't feel right and it helps you structure an approach to plan your projects that well, essentially will work for you. So the first one is kill all assumptions and that's pretty much it because if you don't have a mindset where assumptions really do matter then you're going to have problems on your project because I've done it before. You make assumptions and it comes back to bite you further down the line. So always be thinking about who's made assumptions, have I made assumptions, and how you're going to get rid of them. And the second principle that I love is you don't need to know everything. And this is the case for everyone, but certainly for a project manager. You're covering so many different things. You're working with different skill sets, different people, teams, stakeholders. You can't possibly know everything. And that's one of the reasons why you work with teams and you bring in individuals into those teams who have skill sets to do what the project requires. Use them, but learn from them at the same time. And then the third one is be transparent with what you know and what you don't know. And what this means is, again, linked to the you don't need to know everything principle, you can't be expected to understand exactly how the team are working or questions that come up by a client. You need to be transparent with what you don't know because if you try to pretend that you do know everything, it's going to come back to bite you because someone will just make that assumption that you do and they won't tell you some information that could be critical. So create an environment within your project team, not just for yourself, where openness is encouraged. Be transparent with what you don't know and share that information um, so you can learn quickly. And then principle four is always be thinking about what could go wrong. I don't mean to sound like you know you need to be really down about this, but as a project manager, you need to have that mindset that, okay, even if things are going great, what could go wrong tomorrow? What could go wrong in three weeks' time, four weeks' time? It's just a, a risk mindset that you always need to have on. Don't get too comfortable because otherwise something will crop up when you do. So always be thinking about what could go wrong. And then number five is go deep and find the true why. And what this means is most project managers, most projects, 
They'll do the classic roles and responsibilities, racy docs. This is what you do, this is what I do, this is my responsibility, you're accountable for this. And that's all very useful and you do need to do that. But the deeper you can go with what the individuals truly want to do and know and their strengths and their weaknesses, their experiences, their fears, the better you can shape the project uh, to deliver it in a way that's going to be successful for everyone. So, for example, an individual might want to work on this project because it's going to get them to a next level of promotion or it's something they'd love to talk about at a future conference they haven't done before, something they want to blog about, you know, who knows what it is. And if you can start to find out those little nuggets of information and you can then help those individuals as they, as they go through the project, they're going to help you. You're going to get much more involvement and buying from them. And again, you can shape how you work and the pro how the project works to a certain extent to take advantage of that. So they're my five principles. And I really recommend you creating something similar yourself. And it's just have them close by to you when you're planning a project because it helps shape the approach and just makes you think a little bit differently. All right, so the 10 steps. And as I said earlier, I'm not going to go into all the process details. This is just a summary of each one. And if you want more information, then go to teambenwilmot.com and search for the blog post, how to plan a project in 10 easy steps. So step one is defining the vision and direction. So nothing new here, but it's so important you align on this because it's, it's probably the most critical stage in all of this. Because if you're not aligned as a team with your client, your stakeholders, on what you want to get to, what is the end game for your project, then right from the off, everyone is working in different directions, have misunderstandings, you know, going back to the classic assumptions that I was talking about earlier. Further down the line, someone will go, no, that's not what we're trying to do here. We're trying to do this or we're trying to do that. And there'll be all this misunderstanding working on scope again, re-estimating, looking at budgets, you know, just lots and lots of pain as a project manager. So define that vision and push and push and push for it until you have a shared vision statement or something similar that everyone understands, that they've got the context around it, and then they can work towards it because it will start to shape how you work as well. Step two, what are the key milestones? So now you know the direction, the vision, you now need to start structuring your plan and the milestones is the best place to start before you dive into the detail of the actual plan itself because it starts to create the structure and the shape of the plan. And you can then work back from milestones rather than working towards them, which is what most approaches do. So as a team, start to think about what are the key milestones. You've got the, the most obvious one and that's the end of the project. You know, what is that? What is the next key milestone back from there and build them out and build them out. Now don't do too many and don't get tempted to jump straight to the detail as soon as you add a milestone up there. But try to create milestones that spread across the duration. You know, if your project is six months long, you know, look for monthly milestones, for example, or a couple in a month, something like that. You don't want to go have too many up there because then you'll start to go into the detail of the plan. And then once you've done that, step three is actually building the plan. So this is adding that detail around the milestones. What are the main activities you need to complete that allow you and the team to deliver against each milestone? Don't get too hung up around the timings for individual ones, when they need to happen. At this stage, 
you're just ideating on all the things that need to happen. So if you were doing this in an office space or a digital whiteboard, you can have the milestones along the, the top of your plan. And then individually, you're adding post-its or writing it down, things that all sit underneath those milestones. So you're starting to build up what a plan could look like. And then as a team, once you've added the majority of those tasks, and it doesn't need to be everything because things are going to change anyway. You know, it's just getting enough of a structure of a plan to go. That makes logical sense. I can see how it's flowing now from milestone to milestone. And then start to lay those out in a in a in an order, logical order between the milestones as well. So it's starting to shape and turn into a plan. And then step four is dependency mapping. So you can start to look at relationships like finish to start relationships or just simply if I need to do this task here under this milestone, does it have any dependencies? Can I work on it in silo? And what you really want to be doing here is highlighting those dependencies, but also starting to look at the really big ones that could take down the projects if you like, if they don't happen and mark those ones and focus in on those. The smaller ones that have small dependencies that are really obvious, don't worry too much about. It's the big ones. If you have a middle of the project budget review, that effectively, if that doesn't get passed, then everything stops. You know, that's a big old dependency that needs to be looked into. So you need to delve into the detail a little bit more. And then once you've completed your dependency mapping, then you want to look at assumptions. So as I said earlier, assumptions are project killers. They're the easy route that anyone can take as well, because if someone says to you, oh, I assume Dave's doing that, and you take that, and then a week later, you find out that Dave hasn't done that, it's all gonna come back to you as the project manager. But the problem with assumptions are, they are the easy way out. You know, if someone says that, then you go, oh good, I've done it. But don't don't take that push and push until you can physically see, or there's proof that someone is actually doing that task. Dave has spoken to you and said, I'm doing that and I'm doing it on Tuesday. If you don't have that mindset, it will come back to bite you further down the line. So go through any assumptions, ask the question of the team for particular tasks in the plan. What have you assumed is in place? And they may say, well, I've got this tool set up and it's ready to go. I'm like, well, we haven't even got approval for that tool yet. Yeah, all things like that, just keep prompting and prompting and ask the team for it. And then step six is risk management. So what could go wrong? And that is the question you can ask the team. And this is the start of the project. So well, you can do this throughout, but you can be really blunt. It's like, right, okay, what's gonna stop us? Just go big, go wide. Let's just start ideating on this. And people can be putting things like, well, what if the team are sick? What if these environments go down? What if we don't get this approval here? Anything, just get as many ideas and feedback as possible on what could go wrong. And then you can start to look at those and start to prioritize them on likelihood. How likely is this risk? You know, if it's got a high likelihood, you want to be talking about it and starting to plan the mitigation approach to how you can deal with that risk. There's going to be lots and lots of small ones. And most of those as a team, you can probably put into a single bucket to go, we're comfortable with these risks. They are risks, but we think we can manage them. We're not going to forget about them. We're going to keep an eye on them. But if they do happen, 
then the project's not gonna fall down. So we'll keep them in this sort of lower risk budget. Step seven is what reporting is needed. So on a project, reporting often doesn't have enough focus because people just, again, make the assumptions or just get the usual reports or the client asks for several reports and because you, if you're in an agency world, you just go, yes, yes, yes. But what doesn't happen very often is the question, why? Why do you need that report? Who's it for? And you need to dig deeper because if you say yes to everything, then certain people on the team, definitely the project manager, they're gonna spend all their time creating reports for, for little value. So spend some time going through what are what is the key information that you need? Can we put that into a single report? Do you have a template you already use to speed up the process? Look at all of those things. There's some different approaches to go through um, on the blog post, but the main message here is making sure whatever you report on, it's giving the project value and people understand why they're doing it. And anything else and above and beyond, kick it out. So let's just focus on the minimum reporting that's needed. Let's see if that's enough. If it isn't, we can add to it. All right, link to reporting is step eight, which is creating the communication plan. The only difference here is you're focusing on the when rather than the what. And again, this is really important because you need to be making sure that you're communicating the right information at the right time, because it's all very well and good having an agreed reporting approach, but if it's coming too late, then it's no value to anyone because it's just not gonna be used. So start to think about across your project timeline, when do you need to create these reports? You know, If you're aware of a particular stakeholder meeting that's coming up, there could be some information linked to that, or your client might have a weekly status meeting that they need to do internally. So you need to make, be aware of that. So start, uh, write down and ideate on the wall of the digital board what are the key sessions that happen and what do we need to communicate leading up to that so you can get a nice smooth flow of communication throughout and also discuss how you manage the escalation process you know let's just think about these really the worst things that could happen you know the project team half of them are calling sick there's been a major issue on the project. We're not going to be able to deliver to this milestone. What do you do in those situations? Sometimes it's a little bit uncomfortable to talk about those, but better to do it now versus when it actually happens and working it out. Right, so only two to go. We're on to step nine, creating the team environment. And this one's all about, if you don't have a, a close-knit team, you're going to struggle to solve the, the larger problems further down the line in your project. Because... If the team aren't empowered to actually make decisions themselves, they don't have the right tools as well as the responsibility to solve problems, then all they're going to do is escalate it up. And typically that starts with the project manager. And that putting all the issues onto you and then you having to escalate it up to management. And it's just not a fun place to be when ultimately the the team in most cases are the best people to actually solve the problem. So you need to make sure that it's got a good environment in that team that they understand and they know that we're the ones who've got to fix this problem first of all. And ultimately, if they, yes, they need help and support to do that, then you're going you're gonna to support them on that. But 
they need to be able to think first, right, how can we fix this to move on? Because also if you have to escalate all the time, everything just takes so much longer. So yeah, the environment and the approach you take for this is start on a whiteboard or a digital board, start putting up the advantages and disadvantages of the current team environment that you're gonna be working in. And that can be you know, the physical environment, what's gonna work well, what isn't gonna go work well. Um, how the teams are going to communicate together, you know, on on Messenger, for example. What sort of equipment have they got in place? Just think of everything that could either hinder creating a great team environment or actually improve it and list those out. And then you want to focus on what are the top three disadvantages? How can you then either reduce the impact of them or how can you turn them into advantages? And some of them you might not realize that they are advantage because you could say, well, we've got the, the main stakeholders sitting on the desk next to us and it's going to be so distracting all the time and we're not going to get any work done. So you can fix that. You know, that's through good communication with those stakeholders. But the advantage is if you have questions and you need decisions made fast, the stakeholders are right there rather than another office somewhere. So it is going to speed things up. So you need to look at both ways. So that's how or a few indications on the things you need to think about when creating that team environment. Um, it's a really important one to talk about. Often it doesn't on projects. And then finally, step 10 is what tooling do you need? Now, quite often tooling is already agreed, set up. We always use these tools for these projects and it's just a bit of a given. But more often than not, those tools then start to drive the process and how you work and it's the wrong way around. It should be what do we need to deliver the best possible work for this project and it's going to work for our individuals in the team and as a team are going to create real value and then start working out what tools need to do that. So a good example of that would be a default could be we need Jira. We always use Jira to track issues, bugs, user stories, etc. But then if it's a small, tight team and there's not other teams sitting outside of them, you could do it all on post-it notes on the wall if you want. You know, you're still going off and doing the work. It's still going to be tested. You're still going to review it and refine the stories, etc. So just think about what you really need um, and make sure the team align it. And it's not always that simple, I know. You can't just go, right, we're going to start from scratch because there are often company policies and things like that. But if you can, lucky you, do it. Um, but if you can't, then you need to make sure as a project manager you're highlighting any of the risks around that tool when it comes to productivity being the key one. So that's the 10 steps for planning a project. And it is tough planning a project, especially big ones, complex ones with multiple teams, stakeholders. But you have to keep remembering just focusing on the basics of building up a project plan. Because if you tr get too sucked into the detail too early, then you're going to get lost and overwhelmed and it's going to feel like too much. So like these 10 steps, use these or adapt them um, depending on your need. But have a structure in place of things that you know you must go through. And you can run these steps you can do it all in a day. You can do it in a couple of workshops, even one long workshop, whether that's digitally or, or say, remotely or in the office. And 
the best way to do it is with the team and the client all together in one room because right from the off, the off you've got that transparency between everyone. You're learning from each other what works, what doesn't work. You're understanding what's important for the individual, the team, the project. So the more you can do together, the better. Okay, so I hope you found that useful. If you do want to get this full guide, this ebook, then go to teambenwilmot.com and look for how to plan a project in 10 easy steps. And you'll be able to read the full post, which has steps for each one of these uh, of the 10 that I've gone through. You can also download that ebook as well. And yeah, love to hear your thoughts on the guide. Feel free to email me at ben at teambenwilmot.com or get in touch via Twitter. We'd love to hear your feedback. All right, I'll see you on the next one. That's it. I hope you found that useful. I'd love to get your feedback on the show. And for more content, you can visit www.teambenwilmot.com or get in contact at teambenwilmot on Twitter. And if you enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate a review on Apple Podcast or a follow on Spotify. All right. Thank you and see you next time.